Hello and welcome to episode number 48. We're actually recording this time and I'm with Zhao yet again. How you doing? <laughs> um, a bit better, like I said before, a bit under the weather with some cold, but that's part of the season. Um, and yeah, we had yeah, a few minutes have... of awesome recordings. I didn't even have a recordings. <laughs> I didn't hit the button, but we're, we're actually doing it right now. And we're going to talk about some new malware, but old vulnerabilities. Yep. Um, and it will tie into our usual conversation around patching and how you should always be patching your systems and apparently not everybody is because the virus is still spreading. Um, so this is a virus that was identified by AT&T Alien Labs and again I'll do the aside that I did before. Um, it's funny the, the interesting names that they use for for their research divisions. This goes in line with uh, Skankworks from Lockheed Martin and others that we've talked about in the past. Um, I don't know if it's any more interesting or less than naming vulnerabilities, but at least it makes for some funny conversation around vulnerabilities. So AT&T Alien Labs, uh, lots of uh, very talented people, very good security researchers there. And in September, they identified the new malware version. Um, they named it Shikitega, which is, uh, and again, sorry for completely butchering the pronunciation on that. It's a Japanese word. Um, it roughly translates to cannot be stopped, very roughly. Um, and one of the it's a multi-stage malware and one of the very interesting aspects, at least to me, it, it's one of the very interesting aspects of it, is that it uses a technique that was common in viruses like 30 years back, something like that, um, which is it's polymorphic. It has the ability to change the, the running code, its running code, uh, during execution to avoid being detected by antivirus software. It's interesting that 30 years passed and antivirus can still be tricked by stuff like this. The idea 30 years ago when viruses were completely different than what they are today was that antivirus would have a signature that they would look for and if they found it, they would report the infection. Um, in these 30 years, antivirus have evolved. They now use heuristics detections. They have artificial intelligence baked in, whatever that means. Um, but um, apparently, uh, polymorphic code still defeats some of those um, of those antiviruses, and it's really interesting to to still see that in use today. Um, I'm sure you found something like that in the past as well, Jay. Yeah, I I, I still remember my first virus I've ever had, um, and my first expression was, you know, why are my MP3 icons turning into VB script icons with two file extensions at the end. I was still very green, had no idea what was going on, but I think I I think I got the hint within a minute I, I came to realization that this has to be a virus, this has to be the thing that people are talking about. And uh, from there, my journey into security shenanigans um, uh, went all kinds of different places. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so getting back to, to Shikitega, um, the ultimate goal of the virus, as it is right now, is to deploy cryptocurrency miners, as every single virus apparently does today. Um, it actually does a couple of intermediate steps in between to, to actually achieve that. So when it gets into a system, however that may be, either through exploiting another vulnerability or somebody clicking an email link or something like that, it will deploy a dropper. 
that dropper in turn, uh, dropper is just a small piece of software that will pull software from the internet, download it and execute it. It will actually pull something called Metal. Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, is um, a Metasploit interpreter. Metasploit is um, an exploitation framework. It's actually freely available. You can try it against your system, see if it's vulnerable to some vulnerabilities that it has or not. It's very easy to create exploit code through it. And Metal is like a, a trimmed-down version of Metasploit. Metasploit is very large. It has lots of dependencies and all of that. Metal is something that can um, that can understand the same language that Metasploit uses, but uh, has a much smaller footprint. So that gets pulled in after the dropper. Then there is some, and here comes the interesting part. Shikitega will actually try to exploit a couple of known vulnerabilities to gain privilege elevation on a system. Um, the interesting thing here is that the vulnerabilities that it tries to exploit are from last year, and we're in December, so there's at least 12 months gap here where those things should have been patched. And it's not like it's some obscure vulnerability. One of the ones that it tries to exploit, it's PoundKit. I mean, it was on every single news site tangentially related to security. So I think one important thing to realize here is that Threat actors are only going to use techniques that work. They're not going to waste their time with something that they know is not going to work. So the very fact that these older vulnerabilities are being targeted, the reason why is because they know it's going to work. They know that there's going to be a lot of people that didn't patch this. They're well aware of this. And the very fact that they're targeting this, it, you know, pretty much speaks for itself, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And the elephant in the room is that people know about it, the patches are are available, all the distributions have updated packages, and yet systems are still vulnerable to this. Um, CISA's warning, and that's the Cybersecurity Intelligence Agency in the US, um, they have this list of non-actively exploited um, stuff on the internet. So whenever they add software to that list, it's because it's being actively exploited in the wild. It's because they're seeing attacks being done against companies and individuals using this. So it's not just a hypothetical. It's in that list because it's happening out there. So that shows two things. First, that it's obviously active. And second, that there are still many, many targets out there that haven't patched. And that's the, the critical aspect of this. Again, and I cannot stress how important this is. Patching is the most basic stuff you can do to protect your systems. It won't cover you from everything, nothing will, but it's the first step. If the holes are not there, they cannot be abused. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and it, it's really, um, you know, I know some people might be a little annoyed that we keep talking about this, but the only reason why we're talking about it is because it's a real thing, it's a real problem, and it's still happening. And, you know, it, it needs to be addressed. People need to need to patch and uh, preferably not learn the hard way. I, I had a audience member reach out to me recently expressing frustration with his employer, the person and the employer shall remain nameless. But the concern was that that he and another administrator understand the importance of patching and they want to patch right now, but they are not able 
to get their management team to approve it. And they're worried. And um, I guess that person's mindset, it's working, don't touch it, which is a very bad mindset because everything is working until it isn't. And this is one of those things where um, I also feel like there's probably going to be a lot of people that obviously know that they need to patch that are, that's listening to this. But the issue is not everyone gets the memo or not everyone understands why it's so important. I feel like this story here is a perfect example of why, because again, like you mentioned, they're targeting an older vulnerability. This isn't something that came out last week, the vulnerability they're using. I mean, this is something that has been around. It's been patched. Like you mentioned, people had time. There was notices sent out. This isn't new. Like, like this is literally the right date. You didn't, you know, you know, click on the wrong episode. We're not talking about things. Well, we are talking about things from a long time ago, but this is a brand new situation around that. So I feel like this really is a great example story for why we um, really vent on updating. Yeah, and this is also this also serves to illustrate another point. Um, sometimes we talk about CVEs and the new vulnerabilities that come out, and they all seem like far-fetched things that nobody will ever be able to exploit or something like that. And then something like this hits, and then you see two vulnerabilities previously known, patchable vulnerabilities that are actively being used to on attacks. Um, this kind of changes the, the mindset a bit. So you're no longer just looking at um, some random hacker showing proof of, co of, um, of exploit and proof of concept code. This is the actual code being deployed in the wild. This is a different level of things. Um, right. And the, the story about patching, and we see this daily at TechScare, the, the story about not patching on time. Everybody knows why it's not patched on time. It's because it's disruptive. It, when you patch, you interrupt whatever it's happening. It's just how it is. There are other ways to patch. I won't go into all of those again, but if you're interested, check out our website. We deal with that, uh, tax care. Right. Still, um, that's not the point. The, the point here is that delaying this, it's not just um, about delaying patching. It's not it's not just a hypothesis that you may be targeted. You will be. That, that's the thing that some people don't realize. It might not happen today, tomorrow, the day after, but eventually they will reach your systems and your systems will be exposed. The longer vulnerability rests and patched in your systems, the longer your system is out there as a potential target. You want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, if you're still not in a situation where you can quickly deploy patches for known vulnerabilities when they come out, you should probably revise your processes. You should emphasize to your management, to whoever is, has the final word on this, that it's really important to keep this in track. Yeah, it, it really is. I'd, I'd also be interested to know what the statistics are, and I think I already know without even looking, when it comes to how many organizations have something like auto healing or, you know, auto scaling, whatever your cloud provider calls it, where you can basically um, create a new image that has all the patches in there, delete one of your instances, you're, you're behind a load balancer, you're fine, you have other instances and nobody notices anything. And one by one, you do a rolling update. Because I've seen people comment like, what's the big deal? I just um, update the image and then we just roll it out during business hours and nobody knows the difference. I don't think very many organizations are set up that way. And as we're going to talk in a future, uh, talk about in a future episode, when we talk about, um, you know, different types of uh, patching, spoiler, uh, that's one <laughs> of the things that's coming up. But um, more, more often than not, 
the standard, you know, apt install, you know, DNF install or DNF update, whatever it is you do, um, is done in place during maintenance, during a maintenance window. And therein lies the rub because you have to take everything down and users are disconnected. And I get it, you know, man, the management team does not want those numbers to stop climbing up. But at the same time, uh, we have a shared responsibility. It's not just our responsibility. Yeah, we do the work when it comes to patching, but it's everyone's problem. It's everyone's goal in the organization, not just ours. And I think that's probably one of the missing factors here. If you look at what this malware is attempting to do right now, it's deploying cryptocurrency miner. In the grand scheme of things, that's relatively benign. There are many more potential ways that it could harm your business. Um, but the way that the, the malware is set up in modules, instead of deploying a cryptocurrency miner, they might just deploy an information stealer or a ransomware or something like that at the end of the process. And then you're royally screwed. <laughs> Sorry for not sugarcoating this, but the moment that hits your systems, yeah, it's game over by then. Um, then is when you start worrying about your disaster recovery plan and when you, is when you start worrying about your contingencies and all of that. And then is when you will actually find the budget to deal with cybersecurity. Yeah, I'm sure there's like some, you know, IT manager that, that you know, somewhere comes in to work and just addresses the team. I have good news and bad news. The good news is that we're gonna be very familiar with our disaster recovery plan pretty soon. Now let's get into the bad news, um, unfortunately. But you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of the situation, obviously. You know, sometimes laughter from frustration is laughter all the same. And when you're dealing with these kinds of things, and um, believe me, we feel everybody on the other end of this podcast that are going through this, uh, hopefully your organization understands the importance of this. But um, Again, here, here we have two vulnerabilities that are not new that are being used right now for, for new, you know, shenanigans from the threat actors, basically. Yeah. So that's what's happening. Yeah, and, and Punkit, I mean, this made the news even in non-cybersecurity-related websites and outlets. I think this was one of those that even hit CNN at some point. Um, if it hit CNN, it's everywhere. Um, but still... Um, it was widely publicized, it's very dangerous, it's very easy to exploit, the exploit code is publicly available, and the patch is also publicly available. So there is this very weird combination of factors here. If everything was being done properly, if security people were doing their job and were on top of their game and did not have and we're not being hampered by management, for example, then no system should be vulnerable to this. It should have already been fixed. I cannot stress him enough how I mean, it's dangerous for a system to be in patch for 12 months for a vulnerability like this. Because you're not even... You probably have better chances of being hit by this than going in a casino and taking like the, the smallest price possible or something like that. And the one that they give to first-timers just to hook them in. Um, you're going to be hit by this. It's been 12 months. It, it's already on every single um, vulnerability scanner. It's on every single toolbox that the hacker might have. This is like the stuff that they tried just because they're trying it. They're not even expecting it to work. And when it pings and when it works, even they will probably be surprised So at how easy it's going to be to get privileges in the system. Um, it might not get them through the door, but when they make it through the door, this makes their work much, much easier. 
Yeah, but I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we, we can have situations where, you know, an administrator is reading about a new vulnerability and perhaps it says, um, you know, full system like root access is, is what the threat actor can get from this. But then there's another line that says requires physical access. And then maybe the administrator is thinking, well, the door's locked and no one can get in. Requires physical access. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to go get coffee. It's fine. But then a couple months later, maybe there's a way that's discovered to use a vulnerability in another way or as part of another one or some other threat actor finds a new way to use it that does give them remote access. But if you're not like keeping an eye on that, that patch that you thought was not important could be the one that takes your company down later when people find out how to use it better. So that's always why we say install all the patches. You know, you never really know what's going to happen and, and what's going to be used. And just because it's the state today does not mean it's going to be the same state tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely not. And, and this is why even low, low scoring vulnerabilities should be patched. Um, you never know when what the situation that you described when that will happen when some weird combination of factors will suddenly make a, a somewhat harmless vulnerability become much more important um, this is actually an interesting point one of the trickiest things when you're patching systems is actually to to identify the things that need to be patched because if you're looking at the list of vulnerabilities, and there new, there's new vulnerabilities every day for many different uh, packages, and you're trying to think, okay, I have this maintenance window coming up, say next week, if you're lucky. I have this maintenance coming up next. This maintenance window coming up next week. It will last for three hours. In those three hours, what can I deploy to the systems? What can fit in those three hours? So you're going to have to prioritize. You're going to have to look at the vulnerability lists and you're going to have to identify, okay, this is critical, this is remotely exploitable, this completely takes over the system, this just changes the letters in the file name somewhere very obscure that nobody's going to use. You're probably going to leave the last one out if you're strapped for time. Um, the thing is, imagine if the week after that somebody leverages that last one and with a different exploit actually piggybacks off of, the, off of it. Um, you never know when that situation can happen. So ideally, you want to avoid that um, sorting process altogether. You want to make sure that you patch everything that you can, um, regardless of criticality score. And again, doing this in the traditional way of patching, this is really hard to do because you're always trapped for time. You don't have all the time in the world. You don't have all the availability that you want to have. Um, Again, in this specific situation, it's not even that that happened. Both of the vulnerabilities were 7 point something or higher. That's critical. So those are the most important ones. Those are the ones that really hurt when they are exploited. Um, and still, I cannot stress this enough, still systems are out there and patched for them. Um, I mean, we know for a fact there are systems out there still exploitable to, to Spectre, still vulnerable to Spectre and all of the variants of Spectre. And that's like four years old or something like that at this point. There will always be systems like this. I mean, there's Windows XP being run somewhere. There's Windows 98 being run somewhere. We know there are old versions of software being run out there and there are no patches available and there never will be patches available for them again. So they will be vulnerable inherently. But for these ones, it's not even that the point. The patches are out there and they're not just, they're simply not deployed. 
So one common thing that'll come up in the in the thought process is, you know, maybe I'm the administrator and there's 30 patches that the system can have installed at this point. And like I said, maintenance window's coming. Um, which which one should I install? Well, of course we said all of them. But then the thought process could be, but I don't know how each or any one of those is going to impact the systems. Any one of those could make something not work. And then I'd have to have a scavenger hunt to figure out which one. But my thought process and what I'm a big fan of is always having a dev environment, like all the time. Because if you clone your company's you know, application, website, service, whatever it is, and just make sure it's not publicly accessible. It's your internal, you know, playground for your company's app. And nothing you do there will ever, you know, impact uh, production so long as you just don't update the wrong environment because I've seen that happen. But as long as you don't do that, um, you can install, you can basically snapshot in your entire service, install those updates, see what happens, and just repeat it during business hours even. You don't even have to do this at night. It's a test environment. That's keyword test. So that way, by the time you get to that maintenance window, you not only know which patches you're going to install, you also know what's going to break, if anything, what the workaround is. Maybe it's a new config file option that you have to add in the new version. Maybe it requires another library to be a newer version, but you'll already know all of that because you would have tested that out. And I feel like Every time I've seen a company do that, it usually goes very well because whenever there's an issue, we have to patch this right now. Do you know what's going to happen? Yeah, we have a test environment that's fully updated. Of course, we know what's going to happen. Let's just do it, you know, because we're ready for it. So that's, you know, something I think is very important that really does help. That's absolutely critical for sure. Um, the major constraints there, there are two main constraints regarding the test environment. First, you will never have the actual load that's in production systems. Um, it's really tricky to, duplic to duplicate production workload. Um, you won't have the same us users, your internal people won't be the same using the system, say the accounting system will not be having the same information that uh, the one on production has. And the second factor there is the workload constraint. At that point, you will be maintaining two different sets of systems. Okay, and you will keep them in sync. When you deploy patches to one, you will eventually eventually deploy patches to the other, but you also need to keep in sync all the configuration changes that you do. Say your production environment needs some tweaking to some setting, some obscure flag in the kernel somewhere, you need to make sure you replicate that to the copy that you have in the lab. And that's very easy to forget, to overlook, or just don't have the time to do. Yeah. And then there is the, the thing that I've seen happen, and I've been beaten by this as well in the past. You try it in the lab environment, everything seems to be fine, and then when it goes to production after a, a day or so, those not very apparent bugs will creep in, and something will break, and it breaks because of something that you deployed, an update that you did. It, was just, it just wasn't immediately visible that it broke somehow. That also happens. You should keep in mind that even the best testing environment, the best lab environment that you can set up is prone to have this type of issues. Be prepared to deal with those as well. So don't assume it's, again, there are no, <laughs> there are no silver bullets here. There's nothing magical about it. You just do your best and hope that you actually recreate the, the production environment. Assume that it won't completely because some things you cannot replicate easily, but it's absolutely critical that you test in a lab environment first all the, the updates, even with all these drawbacks. Yeah, I think it's the chaos theory that always kind of 
um, you know, hits us in every single category, even if you're not dealing with security servers or any of that. For example, on the YouTube channel, I, I constantly tell people before you install Linux on a desktop or laptop, after you back up your files, you or you should absolutely run in live mode. Make sure your Wi-Fi card works, video card, all of that. And then people will, in 99% of the time that, that covers you. If you have like a hardware incompatibility, you know about it. But there's always that one or one or I don't know how many people, but there's a few people that get hit by a very weird issue where they have a bug only in the installed version. Super rare, but it happens. But then again, I would say that person did their due diligence by trying live mode anyway. So if they run into a problem, it's a it's an important problem. Now, when you get to security, I um, or even just servers, like one example to your point that I've actually seen an organization deal with, they had a new version of their app that they were going to deploy. I think they did a month of testing. And um, of course, they had some bugs. So they got everything fixed. And everything worked during deployment, but then all of a sudden not. And it come to find out, it's when the number of users gets to a certain number or around a certain number, that's when everything falls over. But the previous version didn't have that problem. To your point, I mean, if it takes 10,000 users to um, hit this bug, then do you have 10,000 test users? Probably not. There are ways of simulating load. I'm not going to get into that. But, it, but my point is, it does absolutely happen. But be vulnerable, be transparent, you know? Mm -hmm. We've tested this. We've tested that. Here's a list of the things that we've, we've tested. And we feel like this is ready to be rolled out. Um, don't ever say it's perfect. Everything's going to go great. Don't build up your management team's confidence um, unfairly. You know, we've tested it. We've seen in the lab environment that this does work. We are ready to proceed. But the issue or the key here, because we're telling you to have a test environment, have a roll, uh, excuse me, rollback plan. I don't know why I couldn't say that word. Rollback plan. So you you say this is what we're going to do to update our systems. If things go south as a part of this, this is what we're going to do to roll everything back to the way it was. And you have that. Hopefully, you'll never need it. You will eventually. To be honest, you're going to need it. It's going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully, not often, but at least you have a set of instructions of rolling everything back. And that even makes the pain of a surprise issue like that a lot less of a problem than it, than it might otherwise be. Okay, this is one of the, the things that you learn after a few years of doing sysadmin job. When you try to get the maintenance window approved, have a plan when in the request have a plan for the the backup maintenance window in case the first one has an issue and you find out after the fact have something scheduled for the next day and have that be pre-approved in the in the event of something going wrong in the first one if everything goes right you won't need it so it won't happen but make sure ma um, management has already approved that and this is something that that is really tricky because you have two options if something breaks on the first maintenance window and you don't have enough time to fix it. You either extend it and go past your deadline and then you'll be called out for it and people will be annoyed and all of that. Or you use the second maintenance window to fix the mistake of the first. Um, keep in mind that uh, bugs may not be immediately apparent, so don't just schedule it for the immediate hour after the first one. Give it a day in between, um, and that will save your bacon a few times. It has saved mine in the past. Um, but that's something very useful to keep in mind when you're dealing with this type of work. Um, yeah. And yeah, 
the the lab environment, the development environment, however you want to call it, that's fundamental. You have to you have to have that. You have to do the test and all of that. Keep in mind that whatever time it takes you to deploy the stuff on the test environment and make sure that everything is working, is adding to the time that your production systems are um, exposed. Okay, so you're just working on the lab. The production environment is still all out there and ready for being uh, exploited if the vulnerabilities remain there for too long. Keep that in mind. It's just an added layer of time that you need. And it's an added amount of work that you need to do. Um, this is this is part of why patching is not just something trivial. It's not like on your home computer and your desktop computer that Windows pops up or your package manager pops up. Hey, you have X amount of updates. Do you want to do them now? Sure, go ahead. No, I need to reboot. Okay, whatever. And you're done with it. It doesn't really happen like that on the enterprise, or at least if it happens for you, you won't be in that position for very long. So, yeah, <laughs> um, things happen at a different pace and things have a different rhythm in the enterprise environment. I know this doesn't come as a surprise if you're already doing enterprise stuff, but if you're not, then be prepared for that change and that difference. It will be a bit jarring at the start if you're just starting out, but that's just how things are done. The, things don't run at the exactly the same velocity. Yeah, I think the best way to um, frame this is that even if the developer behind the thing you're updating is the best developer in the world and they're super talented, they're, they're doing everything right, I don't care how good the programmer is, nobody can account for every possible combination of software and hardware that might exist on a system. There is never going to be a time where it's 100% anything in any direction. So keep that in mind. It's just, you know, the way it goes. We try to account for as many things as we can. We try to predict as many things as we can. But there's always going to be that one thing someone didn't think of. Like in one organization, again, test environment, upgrade, perfect. In front of the client, fails. Why? Because someone forgot to check the license and the license was different in prod versus in test. So the license expired or in this particular app, you could use the application forever and you only run into any complaint about the license during the upgrade, no other time. <laughs> so of course they didn't yeah. think to check the license, but learn the hard way. And I guarantee you that person's checking the license every time, but that's how we learn, right? We, we try not to have a problem but when one does happen, we learn from it. This is what we learned, and this is what we're going to do next time to try to avoid that happening again. I don't think anybody can ask for more than that. Um, as part of the process, as a company grows and you have more people in the team, at some point you're going to have this process established in a series of checkpoints that you that you do. You actually mark those in your software or in a sheet of paper or whatever, and you go over the motions. Deploy the patch, check this application, check this, check this, check this, and you actually do the check marks and make sure all of that is checked. Um, at a certain size of organization, you'll need the evidence of what you're doing. Not if it's a very small company, you won't have all of that overhead. But if it's large enough to have multiple people on the team, on the IT team, on the administration team, doing the maintenance work and all of that, there has to be some accountability to it. And there has to be some form of communicating that between team members. And the way that most companies deal with that is through those checklists of tasks that you need to perform when you're doing the tests in the test environment and then bringing that into production. If something breaks in production and you have the, the, 
the evidence to show that it worked in the lab environment, even if it's just a check mark of stuff that was done and checked and verified and all of that, then at least you can say, okay, I did my due diligence. This every, everything that is in this list worked fine in the lab environment and now it broke in production. Two things will have to happen. Um, first, we need to adapt the lab environment to reflect the change so that if it breaks this way in production, it has to break the same way in the lab environment. And that's when you introduce change to the lab env laboratory environment to reflect that. And then you also keep the evidence for accountability and for compliance and for all of that because that will be necessary as part of those processes as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you might be thinking, I don't really have time to create this and do this and do that. Well, keep in mind one of the vulnerabilities. I'm looking at the date right now. Um, excuse me, November 29th of 2021. Okay, that was near the end of 2021 or near the end of 2022. Okay, same vulnerability, different years. So, yeah, we would hope people get patched up, you know, very quickly. But there's been over a year on this one. So uh, there's plenty of time to test the update. Um, if the vulnerability being used was over a year ago, there was definitely time. And sometimes there's even a delay when um, when a patch gets made on the, the upstream project and uh, it then takes some time to be picked up by the distributions that package the new version and then distributed and then picked up by your, by your package manager and all of that. This isn't even that. It's not even that because the, the updates for this, because the vulnerabilities were so publicized at the time, they were deemed so important. They got lots of publicity, so people acted faster on them. So the new versions made it to the distros much quicker than usual. Um, it's not even that. It's just way, way too long to leave this open. So, yeah, yet another episode where the you know moral of the story is patch your systems and... Um, but I think more realistically, uh, I think people do understand that. Um, maybe have your management team listen to this podcast. I mean, that's part of the reason why we're doing it. It's not just for the administrators. It's for everybody um, to help educate on security. And, and we're talking about things that are actually happening. We're not talking about hypothetical things here. We're talking about things that are being act, you know, actively exploited in the wild right now. So nothing's hypothetical here. It's the it's accurate. Just update your systems and have your management team let them know. Obviously, if, if they're not paying attention, maybe send them over here to this podcast and we'll help you out. Either way, we got to help the entire community understand the importance of updating, not just the people on the front lines. I think everybody needs to have uh, understand the value of this for sure. Yeah, and as a, a quick teaser for the next episode, we will be diving into different types of uh, patching. So if you're worried that your patching process is not quick enough to deal with this type of vulnerabilities or that your company processes don't adapt properly to the things that we're describing here, and if you're, one, if you're working at one of the companies that still has these vulnerabilities and patched, stick around for the next one. Make sure that you listen to the next one. We'll cover some very important topics around that and some ways that you can deal with this without so much disruption. Yep. Well, there you go. 
So yet another episode. It's been a lot of fun and we have us, we have some more coming. So definitely stay subscribed because we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here and we'll be coming back with new episodes and uh, we're going to go start going live again next year. We'll give you guys a date. Uh, again, there's been some colds and you know viruses and all these other crazy yeah. things that happen around this time of year that slowed us down a bit. But um, you know what? We're going to get everything back to where it was live so we can engage with the audience and you know, you guys uh, live, which is always a lot of fun. Can't wait. But for right now, we have a couple episodes already lined up. So uh, we'll be seeing you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until the next one. Bye. Thanks.